Recovery On Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation. Candid discussion about addiction and recovery with the people who have lived it, along with input from experts on the journey from struggle to triumph. Laugh, cry, and be inspired. And now, your hosts of Recovery On Air, Donna Alexander and Beth Mercado. Welcome to Recovery On Air, the podcast in which we work to break the stigma around addiction and recovery by talking about it. I'm one of your hosts, Beth Mercado. And I am the other one, Donna Alexander. Today, I am very excited. We are very excited to have a very special guest on the show, uh, Sherry Gaba. She is an addiction and codependency expert and even appeared on that show back in the day, VH1 Celebrity Rehab. Sherry Gaba, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm, I'm laughing when you said back in the day. I mean, it kind of is back in the day. It's been <laughs> like, um, you know, oh, wow, I probably nine years, which is just crazy. I don't know where the time went. But thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. And I actually love that show. I learned quite a bit of stuff off of that show regarding addiction and the different ways that people act and what you might do to help them along their way. So I was really grateful for that show to help me on my little yeah. journey here at Crossroads. Yeah, I think it's amazing. It was the first, you know, look into rehab, um, one of the first reality shows that w- was a peek into rehab. And what's really funny is like at the time I really was focused on addiction and trauma. And then I was given the job to handle the family program for Dr. Drew. And um, then I ended up really morphing into a whole different specialty of codependency and family work. So it's kind of been an interesting road. And and that's kind of where it all started. Yeah, tell us um, a little bit more about your background and how it did all get started and how you decided that this was the kind of work that you wanted to do. Well, I got a job uh, back in 2005, it was one of the, I won't even mention the name, it was one of the most famous Malibu treatment centers where all the celebrities went, and um, I had been doing hospice work, and somehow I just landed this job, you know, I went to a a networking event, and got invited to to interview, and anyway, it was an amazing job, and then after that, I went into private practice, and just, I saw Celebrity Rehab, the first one, and I'm like, oh my God. I have to be on that show. I, I, it was total law of attraction. I was, <laughs> they need a therapist. They have all these counselors, but they need a therapist. And anyway, I met Dr. Drew. I did another radio show with him for about a year. I was a monthly guest. And I said, you know, you have to hire me to be your therapist. And I, I, I have to say, I think it's all luck. I mean, I'm sure my talent supposedly fit into all that, but I think I was at the right place at the right time. And it was one of the most uh, amazing experiences. And then I was also married to an alcoholic during all of this that who relapsed. He'd been in recovery for seven years and then he relapsed. And so I was going through this, you know, horrific uh, tornado at home while this is all going on. And anyway, um, eventually we divorced and I really um, wanted to start helping the families. I realized, you know, even though my quote brand was addiction, I, you know, I am not an addict per se, but I am an addict in terms of being a codependent and a love addict. And so I kind of like owned my power and owned my story. And then I, um, you know, it morphed into writing a book related called Love Smack, which is on Amazon, which is related to love addiction and codependency. And that's where I, where I am today. And I, I, I love what I'm doing. Awesome. Um, so how does codependency and addiction go together? How, what does that dynamic look like? 
So codependency is any relationship in which one partner is unhealthily obsessed with the other, the needs of the other person, to the point of ignoring their own needs. And they look outside their true and authentic self to find happiness and fulfillment, believing it just never can come from within, sort of like the addict where it has to come outside of themselves. And so what happens is just like the addict loses themselves in their addiction, the codependent loses themselves in the life of another person. They become obsessed. And they attach all their core being to the existence of their codependent relationship. And, you know, it's all about getting approval. Um, It's all about fixing, manipulating, controlling the addict. I mean, that's how codependency began, you know, with Melody Beatty's book, um, Codependent No More. She actually endorsed both my books. And she um, kind of coined the word codependency, but it really has changed. It's more about today. It's not just about enabling your addict. It's about... uh, you know, losing yourself in a person um, and then, you know, needing every, you know, sort of, what can I say? Um, it's not just about enabling. It's not about, it's not just about all the things that we think of when we think of codependency. It's more about losing yourself. And uh, that, that's really what I, I think codependency is, just completely losing yourself. And we'll probably get into it later, but it's, it's usually because of a history of trauma sort of being invisible growing up, being neglected or abandoned. And so you don't even know who you are. You don't have an identity. And so, you know, you're sort of in the ethers of whoever you're with at the time, and they become your whole focus, which is what happened to me. I was obsessed with getting my my ex-husband sober, and it became my whole life. I got very sick. I I got kidney stones, and I, I staph infection, lost hair. All kinds of things happened to me because I, I was so obsessed with trying to get him better. So, Sherry, with this codependency, I have a question about so when I think of that, I automatically think that it's my significant other, my husband, my wife, whatever, whatever. But can't codependency happen in other dynamics of relationships like mother-daughter, you know, son-father, sister-sister, brother-brother? Oh, friends. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. You can be a codependent in a work environment when you don't have boundaries, you don't know how to say no. You can be codependent in friendships. I mean, anytime we don't adhere to our boundaries or someone else steps over our boundaries, you know, we're in a codependent relationship. I mean, this could be at your local school as a volunteer. It could be with your neighbors. It's continually um, not, you know, being true to yourself and doing for others, always being the giver, you know, and having other people take from you. Um, it could be, you know, in the PTA, it could be at your local church, it could be a volunteer position. It's wherever you lose yourself and you, you just, you lose, you don't, you don't adhere to the boundaries that you have set forth for yourself. Okay. And you also talk about codependency being a co-occurring disorder with addiction. So what does that look like? And it's in that a codependency is an underlying condition. So what does that look like and how do you see that? So I always um, talk about my ex-husband, and he, you know, he's a, he knows that I do discuss this because we are friends, and he's he's totally cool with me sharing his story because it really is a great example of the underlying uh, disorder being codependent underneath addiction. He worked for the studios. He was a customer, and they really worked him to death. And he had absolutely no boundaries. He was always in fear that he was going to lose his job. And um, they were working him to death, and he never said no, and he kept taking on more and more and more. And suddenly, one day, he fell off a scaffold and tore his shoulder cuff because he just was so um, 
he was just in complete fear that if he didn't do everything they were giving him, he would lose his job. And, you know, it all had to do with his own low self-esteem and his own fear. And and he didn't have a recovery program and he didn't know how to say no and he didn't have boundaries and all of this stuff just was a perfect storm. So he ended up getting on painkillers and, well, then then turned to his to alcohol again and that was his story and it's been a, a struggle for him the last 10 years in and out of programs, in and out of recovery. Today he's sober, but next week who knows. And it's just awful because he never really dealt with the codependency. He never dealt with the underlying issues. And that was his underlying issue, absolutely, and what led, I think, to his uh, relapse and addiction. So when he had his addiction and relapse, um, you said you were codependent with him. What did your codependency uh, on him look like? What, what did that dynamic, how did you enable him? How were you, how was your life out of control? Um, just like I was saying earlier, I mean, I basically was obsessed with him. I was obsessed with getting him into treatment. I was getting him, you know, every time he relapsed, I did all the work trying to get him into treatment. Um, if he called me, you know, and he said, oh, my God, you have to come, you know, get me. I'm drunk. I'd go and rescue him and come and get him. And I was just out of control. I had no program myself. I didn't. I Even though I was, a, and, and I really don't mind sharing this, even as a psychotherapist and someone that has worked in rehab and was on a TV show. All of that stuff went out the window when it, when it affected me. And so the good news is I'm so, I'm so much more mindful and compassionate about the disease more than I've ever been in my whole life because I lived this. And I want people to know who are professionals, because I'm sure lots of professionals will be listening to this podcast. It's okay. We're human and we make mistakes and we learn from them. And so that's what happened to me. I just completely lost myself and he became my whole existence. Um, you know, I, did, I, it was, it was really, it was unbelievable. So eventually, I had to get some help, and I even went to a program that specialized in codependency, and um, worked with therapists, joined Al-Anon, and eventually, I was able to leave the relationship because it wasn't working for me anymore. I couldn't be in this relationship and still be a healthy whole person. And that's not to say that, you know, if you have a child that's an addict, you can't necessarily leave your child. And if you're married to someone and you have a history with someone and you want to stay married, you can do that too, as long as you have a program in your life. I just chose not to because it just didn't work for me. But I, I don't, um, I have great compassion for the person who loves their, their addict alcoholic spouse, for the parent that loves their child. And, you know, Rob Weiss, he's a, an expert in this issue and he talks about propendence and he talks about like getting rid of the stigma and shame of loving an addict and I remember when I was in the midst of all this my my grand sponsor said to me you know there's no shame in loving your husband you know you love him you know and but eventually just like when the addict's life becomes unmanageable and they no longer have control over anything especially their disease then it may be time to move on and so that's what happened to me I had one one boundary left and I said you know if you drink again I'm going to have to have you leave and that's what happened and it's sad but it probably you know was the best decision I could make at the time you know Sherry I'm really glad to hear you say that about that in quotations the professionals because I was a program coordinator at one of our facilities for a long time and I would help women in recovery and and their families and try to, you know, with shared experience, you know, this is my life experience. Can I share with you what happened to me and all of these kind of things? And then my daughter had been absent from my, from my life for a while. And she came mm -hmm. back, and I'll tell you what, right now, because I'm in the midst of it right now, 
And it's a whole different ballgame. I do not know how to do the things that I have been talking to other people about for years, you know, because I think the thing that gets left out a lot is that human emotion portion of it. And so now I have all these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm grateful all the time for my Al-Anon sponsor because she just keeps telling me it's none of my business. And I'm like, wow. So I'm glad to hear you say that, that it doesn't matter who you are. You can have these kind of issues, even if you've helped other people previously. You know, oh, when it yeah. happens to you, it's a whole different thing. I, th- I think it's the same goes with addiction. I'm sorry, my dogs are barking. They're, they're agreeing with us. Uh, <laughs> they're part of the interview here. Um, uh, you know, addicts, too, they can work in rehab, and then suddenly they relapse. I mean, how many times have we heard that story? So the same goes for us who... Um, deal with codependent issues, you know? I mean, I come from a lineage of codependence, starting with my grandmother and my mother and myself, and probably my daughter, too. Maybe my granddaughter won't be a codependent, but, you know, it's, it's been a long... It's been... It's so interesting because, you know, the word itself, you know, you, you know, the first thing you think of is, oh, you're, you know, you're married to an addict, you're enabling them, blah, blah, blah. But you really break it down and you look at somebody's history and you look at their trauma, you really understand why somebody becomes a codependent and it just you know takes away the shame takes away the stigma like we have stigma around addiction the same with codependency we didn't you know i didn't wake up one day and say oh i want to just lose myself in another person there are reasons for it and you know i can share my story of trauma if you want i don't know if we're there you know if we're at that point in the interview it's up to you but often when i share that story it really helps a lot of people i think i'd like to hear it yeah most definitely please share it so it's it's an interesting story. It's, it's way, you know, it's, it's a lot of people can't even believe that that could have anything to do with codependency. But I had early trauma. I was premature. I was in an incubator. And I was born in 1959. And in those days, they had no speci- special, uh, you know, systems for premature babies. So basically, I didn't meet my mom for two and a half months. I was um, fed in, uh, in my feet with a feeding tube. I had oxygen masked over my nose. And I literally had been abandoned by my mother from the get-go and so from the very beginning the moment I came out into the world I was looking outside you know please pick me up please pick me up please give me love and I could imagine in those days and I'm pretty sure that every time I cried nobody picked me up so you know I had severe separation anxiety um, severe abandonment issues and I was just set up to be a codependent and a love addict. I was looking for outside love all the time and I was going to do anything to get it. And I was going to do, and that was one of the reasons I also had stayed with my ex-husband, not just because I loved him, but out of fear, terror of being alone again, being divorced again, being abandoned again, being rejected again. It was really scary. So, you know, that just gets into the whole piece around trauma. People become codependent and love addicts because they're looking for something on the outside to fill them up on the inside, same as an addict. And um, for for love addicts and codependents, it's usually another person, you know. And it's actually very, it can be very manipulative because here you're, you know, you think you're helping this other person, but really at the same time, you're trying to heal yourself. You're not even heal. You're trying to fill that void. Right. You You want to change them because it makes you feel better. Exactly. Um, You know, so, yeah, that's my little story. I mean, other people can come from neglect. They can be, they, maybe they were abused as a child. Maybe their parents, they came from a divorce. Maybe they became adult little children and were parentified. But it, it just goes back to having unavailable parents, either physically or emotionally. And 
in my case, it was both. And then when I came home, my mother had an, you know, was so anxious because I almost died. I was only three pounds and I really was a 50-50 chance I was going to die. And so she was so scared something was going to happen to me. So then I'm brought into this home where my mother's just young and anxious and then she has to go to work. And so I have a, you know, a slew of caregivers and, you know, it was just, just that, excuse me, podcast shit show. And that's what <laughs> set me up. And it was so great to know, like, oh, my God, this is why. This is why I do the things I do. And it's a constant work in progress. And the thing that's helped me the most is, you know, working with a somatic experiencing therapist, learning how to do that work myself with my clients. And once you get in your body, you're not afraid to leave your body. And that really is what addiction or codependency is. It's not being connected to yourself. And once you connect with yourself, you know, you, you can feel safe and you don't need to look outside yourself. So you have another book, too, besides Love Smacked, and it is about infinite recovery. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because Crossroads is a substance abuse treatment facilities, and we'd love to hear a little bit about that infinite recovery. Sure. Both books are on Amazon. Um, infinite recovery is really just the law of attraction addiction. Um, there was a movie that came out over 10 years ago called The Secret, and I was showing the movie to clients at a rehab, and they just, they loved it. They loved the idea that, you know, what you, what the thoughts you put out there is what you can create. And I thought, wow, you know, these, re- these addicts and alcoholics are really responding. You know, what if I wrote a book using some of these principles of the laws of the universe and the law of attraction? And, you know, and I believed in it. I believe that's how I got the TV show. I believe all the great things that have happened because I believed and I put those thoughts out. And, um, so I created the book Infant Recovery to help, you know, you know, a lot of young people just are looking for other solutions. They're not, they don't, the 12 steps doesn't always speak to them. And of course, I believe the 12 steps is the foundation, but I thought this might be kind of fun. And actually, you know, it really, people love it. People love using it as a workbook. You know, a lot of therapists use it because it has affirmations, it has meditations. It's almost like a workbook book. And it's just a great um, resource, you know, to run groups or to run, in, you know, whenever you're with an individual client. You know, I, I actually have looked through the book and read a big portion of it. And there's even some guided meditations in there mm-hmm. to be able to record. And I think there's one in there I'm going to record for my sister and I to take a look at. So I definitely found some stuff in that book is going to help me in my recovery. And there was... Um, a story in there about a gal who has been sober for 12 years and that's where I'd land and how afraid she became about drinking. And that's not exactly Mm -hmm. my story, but what that taught me all over again is it doesn't matter how much time you have. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you allow fear and insecurities and stuff to come into your life, you know, you're going to have some issues and you need to find a way to deal with that. And I've also had touch with the secret and I, I mean, you hear people joke about, I'm going to put that out in the universe. But for me, I feel like it's a very real thing. Yeah, well, think about when you go to a 12-step meeting. That's like a law of attraction. You're in the room and you're putting out positive energy. You're all together. You know, you're creating a much higher vibration. And then you walk out usually feeling a lot better. So I think, um, you know, law of attraction is used in a lot of different ways. They just don't call it the law of attraction. You know, the difference is you have to take the action. So I suppose the secret really didn't have action steps. It was really more about what you think you create, which is fine. But then you actually have to get into action. And so then you have your your principle, you know, the 12 steps. And those are the action steps that you take so that the law of attraction can work in your life. 
Absolutely. And of course, I, I also created a membership program called Wake Up Recovery, and hopefully you'll, you'll put that in your show notes. And that's for codependents or addicts or anybody struggling that would like to use the principles of the law of attraction in their recovery. I actually have that in my notes, and I actually went on that website, too, because you have that in, in your book. So I was going to ask you more about that, too. Like, people can go on that with the link, right, and just start accessing all yeah. of those different tools? Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing membership. I've been working on this for uh, three and a half years. It's got all kinds of interview, interviews, and they're sort of like what we're doing here with, you know, Russell Brand, Melody Beatty, Marianne Williamson. And then it has a 10-week course uh, related to codependency, law of attraction, love addiction. It kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's just a treasure trove of all of the work that I've done. And um, it's $27 a month. Um, it's a dollar to join to see if you even like it. And then it goes to $27. And I do two group coaching sessions a month. So, you know, again, I never say that this is in lieu of a 12-step program, but it certainly can add to your... 12-step program if you're someone dealing with codependency and you want to understand the law of of attraction and you want to understand love addiction. You know, it's just a wonderful program that I'm really, really proud of. So thank you for, you know, putting those in your show notes. I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, You mentioned just now love addiction, and I actually have a question about that. Um, So, Sherry, I found you on Instagram because I'm myself a recovering codependent and your Instagram, I think it's codependency curious. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I started looking at your content and watching your, your live streams. Um, and so that's how I found you and just knew that you needed to be on our show. Um, but so in my own personal codependency healing journey, Um, I did a lot of reading about codependency and love addiction, and a lot of times I saw they were defining it as basically the same thing, um, that it was like a synonymous love addiction or codependency. Um, But I feel like they're two separate things. Can you explain the difference or the similarities between love addiction and codependency? So I believe that every love addict is a codependent. I don't think every codependent has to be a love addict. In other words, codependency is basically, um, you know, the need to control people, places, and things. And um, love addiction is really being in love with love, being obsessed with either being in a relationship, either being obsessed with being in a, you know, the romance, the beginnings of a relationship, or you can be a relationship addict, um, somebody that has to be in a relationship to feel whole. The codependent part is, is, is is that as well, but also codependency can be many other things. Codependence approval. They, they need validation. They lack boundaries. And again, some of these things can also morph into love addiction, relationship addiction. I guess the main difference is a codependent can be codependent in other areas of their life. They can be a codependent at work where they never say no to their boss. They don't um, have, you know, boundaries like my ex-husband. Um, they can be a co- like like I talked about earlier, codependency doesn't have to be a romantic relationship Love addiction, relationship addiction is a romantic relationship, mm. an intimate relationship. So I've seen you write this a couple of times, um, the term radically authentic. What does that mean? So when you lose yourself as a child because you've had trauma, you become other-focused. So you don't even know who your true self is. And that really is the hallmark of codependency or love addiction because you lose yourself because you never really had a self. 
because you were so other focused. So becoming radically authentic is about learning who you are and being true to yourself and connecting to yourself. And it's about knowing what you want and what are your preferences and just having a clear sense of what your boundaries are and what do healthy boundaries look like. And if you're cowtailing to others for approval or validation to fill your emptiness or fear of being alone, you'll always settle in relationships and will give up being the authentic person you are. So it's really important to find out who you are and what your preferences are so you don't, you're not um, vulnerable to attracting, you know, the wrong people into your life or the wrong situations into your life or, or unhealthy situations. Like I talk a lot about narcissistic abuse um, and some addict alcoholics when they're not treated have narcissistic traits in my opinion. When you're in your disease, there's a lot of narcissism in my opinion. Not not the full-blown personality disorder, but often there'll be, there'll be traits. And so you have to be really careful like not to get plugged into that because Codependents and narcissists often find each other. They're, it's a perfect dance. It's a perfect match because the narcissist is the one that, you know, needs all the attention. The codependent needs to be needed. And so they kind of find each other. And the same goes with often an addict and an alcoholic. The addict needs the, the codependent to take care of all their needs and the codependent needs to feel needed. So does that kind of make sense yeah. a little bit? Like in other words, if you don't know yourself, you're going to attract addicts, narcissists, people, and, and again, when I say addict, it's not about, a sh- you can, it's fine as long as they're in recovery. But if you're with someone who isn't in recovery, you know, then you're, you're, you could be, you know, taken advantage of. Yeah. I was with the narcissist for five years and I was finally in so much pain uh, that I looked inward and said, what am I doing wrong that, that this is happening and I'm in so much pain and I picked up the book, um, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie, and, and that's what changed my life. Yeah, she's amazing. She is brilliant. Um, she, she definitely is a trailblazer. We, you know, there's zillions of books about codependency, but they all nobody's really reinventing the wheel. It really begins with Codependent No More. I have probably told more clients to buy that book. I've probably paid, you know, two months mortgage for her. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just believe in that book so much. So... I know that you mentioned that you've done a little bit of work in Al-Anon. Um, so can you tell us, I know this is an Al-Anon term because I am also a grateful member of Al-Anon, but talk to us a little bit about detaching with love. Mm. Well, that's what you do when you, um, let's say you have a child and you are just, you, you support them when they're ready for recovery, but you detach when they're not because if they're making your life, I don't want to say difficult, but you're finding that you're just in so much pain and you just can't do it anymore. Like what happened to me, just you're getting physically, mentally, and spiritually sick and bankrupt. You need to kind of remove yourself. You don't stop loving them. You know, it's kind of like, you don't, you don't let go of the love. You let go of the illusion. You let go of the illusion that you think you have this power to, to do something for them that they need to do for themselves. That doesn't mean you're not there for them when they say, hey, I need a helping hand. You know, I need to get into recovery. You know, I, can you support that? And then you, you can help them. Um, it's very hard because, it, you know, and I, I'm going to be the first one to say I'm not a parent of an addict or alcoholic. So if you're a parent listening to this, my heart goes out to you. I can't even imagine. But I know parents that have actually detached with love. You know, they don't want that drama or trauma in, in their life. So they just remove themselves, but they let their children know that they love them and they support them. Um, 
I, I am detached with love for my ex-husband. You know, he is a wonderful guy when he's sober. When he's not sober, it's awful. So what I do is I can talk to him when he's sober, and then when he's not sober, I have nothing to do with him because I don't want to bring that disease into my life. I can't, I just won't go there. It's too much for me. But if he's sober, we can have a great conversation. So it's um, it's kind of a slippery slope when it's your child and when it's an ex or a partner. Um, but I, I just think it's so important that, you know, not to stop loving. Just because someone has a disease, you don't stop loving them. You just take care of yourself. You take, because if you don't, you don't have self-care, you don't have boundaries, and you don't take care of yourself, you're going to get sick, and then you're not going to be good for anybody. You know, Sherry, I have a, a double story about that. First of all, I am the mother of two addict alcoholics. One of them got mm-hmm. in recovery when he was 17 years old. Super proud of him. The other one struggled, you know, quite a bit longer. It's it's my older daughter. And I had to do the whole detach thing with, with love because I was watching her die, you know, on a daily yeah. basis. And I just could not do that any longer. And now she's going to be coming up. She's coming up on two years sober. Woohoo! On December twenty seventh. I know it's a fabulous thing. The whole relationship has changed. It's more open. I mean, and that's what I was talking about, though, too. And also for for parents who are out there listening, we don't do this thing perfectly. You know, as right. our addict, alcoholic child, or whoever is learning their journey of recovery with the 12 steps or whatever recovery program they are doing, we also need to remember that we're learning too. Cause like I was beating myself up about you've been in recovery for this long. How come you're not acting better about this and blah, blah, blah. And I had to start getting that negativity out of my mind and coming around to a positive thing that I'm learning too. I don't know everything to do or to say. And sometimes the best thing for me to do is absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you're sharing your own personal story as a professional in the recovery field, because I think there just is not enough of that discussion as professionals. You know, we're supposed to be way up there and we're supposed to be perfect and we have all the solutions and all the answers. And guess what? Like you said, when it's somebody that we love, all of that goes out the door and it just is what it is. And not to be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed that you're a human and you have, you know, we're just we're having a human experience, and that's just what it is. And when you love somebody that's that's suffering, it's very painful. So, but there is support, and that's the hope part, right? There is, you know, there's a there's rehab like yours. There's uh, books. There's membership programs, you know, like mine. There's therapists. There's so much support out there, you know. That you, you know, you found me on. Are you the one that found me on Instagram? No, oh, that's my partner. Yeah. That's me. Oh, Beth. I'm sorry, Beth. Yeah, I. You know, there's so much on Instagram, like the fact that you found me there, like there's so much inspiration, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many people doing so many different things that um, there isn't just one road, you know, towards towards sobriety or codependency recovery. There's all sorts of options and there's help out there. And, you know, that was another thing I read in your book, too. Twelve-step programs are another way to develop compassion for others, just knowing you are not alone that others have suffered because of substance abuse is therapeutic and healing. And I completely agree with that statement, being somebody who's attended many, many 12-step meetings. And all, I can warm just about any chair there is, and I'm okay yeah. with that. You know, um, today, it, it did bring yeah. a great deal. And, you know, one of the things that Beth and I want to do with this show is to start 
trying to heal some of this stigma that is around these kind of disease or just, you know, the codependency and all of that kind of stuff. Because you're right, nobody talks about it, you know, and oftentimes what I've found, because Crossroads is a peer-driven program. So almost everybody in, even to the CEO, he came through our program 23 years ago, I believe it was. And many of our higher people are people who came through the program. And I think that that has been one of the benefits of Crossroads is we have never asked anybody to do something that we didn't do ourselves. And when they start, you know, as an addict and an alcoholic, I will find some justification and excuses and whatever to not do certain things. But when somebody's looking at me and saying, but I had to do that, so why are you any different? You know? Well, I do, yeah, I do think when you have the experience, you can speak to somebody and somebody will really, you know, hear you in a way that you, they, you, you wouldn't hear if somebody hasn't had that experience. So I agree with you. I mean, when I became a single mother at a very, you know, early, in my early 20s, I went to a single parent group and it was amazing. And then later on, I found myself at Codependent Anonymous meetings and then Al-Anon. And, and whenever you are, you know, with other like-minded people, um, you don't have to feel so alone. And so um, I agree. I think that's, the, the greatest gift you can give yourself. And it hurts me so much right now with the pandemic that people don't get to go to in-person meetings, at least not out here in California. And it just breaks yeah. my heart because I can't imagine how hard it is to go on a Zoom meeting. You don't know anybody and you're supposed to get the support. And I think um, that's why addiction is rising right now and alcoholism is rising right now because there just isn't that in-person, you know, hug and compassion and love and, you know, picking a sponsor and all that stuff. So, I just, I have a lot of compassion for, for that. So what suggestions would you have for those that are listening and they're saying, wow, maybe I need to try to figure out this 12 steps th- thing about picking a sponsor? Um, I think you just, if you're going to go on the Zoom meetings right now, just really listen to what people are saying. It's the same as if you were going in person. It's just a little harder because you're not in person. But I, I will say, too, on the other hand, side of this is like for like for my ex-husband he's just you know he won't go to these zoom meetings so it's also an excuse so i'm gonna like i'm coming from like both sides here like it can also be an excuse like well no i'm not going to do zoom meetings so i I think you have to just make that effort Mm. because that's all we have right now is you know zoom or you know online meetings i mean that's just what it is right now with the pandemic so um yeah, just just go to lots of meetings, meet lots of people. You know, my whole thing about the way the law of attraction works is repetition, putting in these positive messages in your neural path to change your neural pathways. And there's nothing better than, you know, a Zoom meeting for a program or an in-person meeting or my program to change the neural pathways by repetitive, positive information. I mean, I always tell my clients in between sessions, you've got to do these things. Because we have short-term memory, whether we're a codependent or addict, we're going to forget all these things. So you've got to have this stuff in your ears all the time. Mm-hmm. Sherry, I have a kind of personal, um, professional question for you. So codependency is kind of the disease of wanting to fix people, um, but you're also a therapist who fixes people. So how do you find that balance between um, maintaining and managing your own codependency while also helping others? Well, the, the greatest thing that I learned as a professional is you have to meet the client where they are, and you're not going to work harder than they're willing to work. So some people are just resistant, and so I can let that go. It's not my job 
you know, professionally, it is not my job to fix or change or control. I'm just there to meet them where they are. I'm, I'm here. I'm a person to hold space for what they're going through um, if they're ready and willing. And if they're not, then we probably will part ways. I'm not, I'm not here to uh, make somebody do something that they don't want to do. They either have to be ready and willing or not. But my job is really just to be a compassionate, non-judgmental um, space holder <laughs> for them. <laughs> and that's, 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 that's what I do. Do you ever find it hard to let go anyway, even though you know that you've got to draw, draw that line? Do you just want to help them so bad? You know, after 20 years of being a therapist, <laughs> I really think the boundaries are really clear for me. I mean, I know it doesn't really make sense. Like, how could that be? Like, how could you be that, you know, one way in your personal life and another way in your professional life? But I think, I mean, sure, I have compassion and I feel bad if something doesn't work. You know, I think the, the hardest cases, I'm going to be honest, are the parents of addicts. Those just break my heart. Yeah. Those are the, probably the hardest cases that I have. And I sometimes just don't know what to say. And honestly, what I will say to them is I don't know what you're going through. And I think that is very important to really help them understand I don't know the pain you're going through. I can't even imagine. And even just saying that I think is really helpful and healing. Um, the other thing I do differently now after being with an alcoholic a husband that was um, in his relapses is I'll tell, let's say a couple comes in, they're either newly married or they're thinking of getting married or maybe they've been married a while and suddenly, oh, they're doing so well, they're in sobriety, they're going to meetings, and I'll say, that's great. Just so you remember, it's one day at a time. I just don't want people to live in the illusion that, oh, they're sober now, so everything's great. Not to say that they won't stay sober forever because hopefully they will if they stay in recovery, but I remind people one day at a time. For both of us, for you as the spouse or parent and for and for the addict themselves it's one day to time do not get into the illusion that this is forever because nothing is forever nothing you know and and that's not being negative about it it's just being honest about it and realistic i really well when i met my husband you know i was way too old to be so stupid i mean he, i was in my <laughs> early 40s and he was i mean i really was like Come on. And it was just my own codependency, denial, illusion, fantasy, love addiction self that fell in love. And it's like he was sleeping on a futon at his sister's. He had just gotten out of rehab. And I thought, oh, he'll never, you know, this guy would never use drugs again or because look at he lost everything. And that was just not true. This guy has had thousands of lives over and over again. I cannot tell you how many times he has, you know, gone to rehab, picked himself up, gone back out there, picked himself up. He's just never been able to have any time in the last, at least the last 10 years. And, but if I would have known that, I think I would have made a decision that would have like said, okay, I need to get to know this person. Let's see how much time, let's see, let's see what he's like in a year, you know, like what was not like a month after rehab, you know what I mean? So I, I share that because here I was in my early 40s just living in a complete fantasy. Yeah. Right. So how does mindfulness relate with relapse and how can, if we can get that mindfulness going, how can that help us to not relapse? Well, it's just all about being in awareness, being in the, you know, being in the present. The point of power is in the present. If we're mindful, then we're right here right now and we're not future tripping about what will be. We're not in the past. We're not trying to rewrite the past. We're not trying to, uh, we're not fantasizing over what we want relationships to be rather than what they really are. We're right here right now. And for people that have trauma, it's really hard to understand this concept. So I do want to say as a professional who has done trauma work for 12 years and also 
facilitate somatic experiencing and tapping and all these different modalities, you know, try to find a really great therapist that works with trauma uh, so that you can deal with this trauma so you can learn to embody the presence because you can't just be present if you have trauma because you are living in a disassociated state and you need help. So I really, sometimes I get frustrated because, you know, one day at a time and living in the moment and that's all great. But if you have, if you come from deep rooted trauma, that's not that easy to do. You know, Sherry, I think one of the things too, at least this is kind of where I hear in the rooms a little bit is that when people hear the word trauma, they automatically think that somebody was completely sexually abused or beaten bloody, you know, black and bloody and all of that kind of stuff. So can you explain a little bit about maybe some of the different types of trauma so that, you know, maybe our listeners will say, oh, maybe that's what's going on with me and maybe seek out the help they need. Well, I shared my own story of being a preemie, which is a great, you know, example of trauma, Um, neglect, abuse, abandonment, rejection, being a parentified child, being molested, being abused, being physically abused, having unavailable parents, um, maybe even being with a narcissist. And, you know, and again, I hope because I know you're all in recovery, I hope that I'm not saying anything that is offensive, but being in a relapse with somebody and that you love is trauma. I mean, I definitely, (laughs) I definitely experienced trauma being in the vortex of his relapses. Yeah, see, I um, think that's something people don't understand. I would have never thought about that that being in the vortex of somebody that's relapsing is a, a form of trauma? Uh, well, think about it. You know, there's, you're scared, you're fearful, you're, you don't know if they're going to relapse again. You don't know, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy making. It's very difficult when you love someone who's, up, you know, in and out, up and down, all over the place. Then you become part of that. And it's definitely traumatic. I mean, I know it's hard because, you know, being, if you're, yeah, even my ex-husband doesn't get it. I mean, even, you know, even after all these years, he just doesn't get how every time when he relapses, it's really sad. And, you know, his family's sad. I'm sad. It's very sad. It's so sad. And it really brings up a lot of sadness. Um, that's trauma. But I've learned to detach from it. Like, it's sad, and then I just go on with my life. And I just, I accept. This is just his path, his story. He has his own higher power. There's nothing I can do. And then I, I, you know, and again, I'm not a parent. That's an ex-partner. That's way different than being a parent. Um, but yeah, trauma comes in all different sizes. It could be an earthquake. It could be a fire. It could be a tsunami. It could be, you know, you can be a war veteran. But it can all, you know, there's small trauma and there's big trauma. And, you know, it's all trauma. So you mentioned parentified child. What is that? Parentified child. So let's say um, you're a single mother, you don't have a spouse, suddenly your child as a single mother becomes like your partner, your surrogate partner. You talk to them about everything, you go to them for, you know, every little thing. You expect them to kind of take care of your feelings and your needs. You, have, you know, it's very unhealthy and very toxic. And I see that a lot with single parents, see that, you know, because you're, you don't have a partner to talk to, then you kind of rely on your child to be your partner, to be your friend. Um and they're not your friend, they're your child. And you're putting a lot on them that is too much, too much. They don't have the capacity as a child to take on all of that. Right. And so it, it's, um, you know, and it's nothing to feel ashamed of if you did it, if you've been there, if you realize you, you parentified your child, you can always kind of, you know, change that. You can change it right now, no matter how old your child is. You can 
change the dynamic. You can start being the parent um, and allow them to be either the child or the adult child. And, you know, I think that for, like, with my two older children, because I was drinking a lot, and then I stopped, and my older daughter was used to taking care of my son, and all of a sudden that was taken away from her, and that was a huge issue, and I didn't realize it because I was like, well, I'm taking care of stuff now. You know, she should be happy. But it, so much of her identity was involved in taking care of my son, and I just walked in and ripped that away from her. So that's another that's thing. Cool that we that we work on on a daily basis too that's a great example I have the same thing with my daughter I was a single mother and you know she was used to getting her way and kind of controlling the show and then all of a sudden you know um, I got healthier and it's like no I'm the mom here and it's still a battle you know she thinks she knows more than I do and it's uh it's it's pretty it's it's a codependent relationship and it's just it's constantly being um tested and you know but it can get better and it does get better and there's always hope and you know hey listen life is just plain messy and nothing is going to go perfect perfect beautiful sherry gaba thank you so much for being on the show with us today i really appreciate you giving us your time and it has been a pleasure a pleasure learning from you what an amazing experience i was writing like crazy so i can go back and reflect on some of the stuff I learned from you today. So I'm super grateful and thank you for joining us, Sherry. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me and definitely check out my book, Love Smacked or Infinite Recovery or look at the link for Wake Up Recover. I'd love to have you join my tribe. And I'm and, and thank you for doing the work you're both doing, putting, putting out the work, uh, eradicating the stigma around these issues. And thank you again for having me. Thank you, Sherry. You're welcome. So uh, until next time, everybody, I'm Beth Mercado. I'm Donna Alexander. And this has been Recovery on Air. Thanks for listening to Recovery on Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation with Donna Alexander and Beth Mercado. Join us next time as we continue our candid discussions about addiction and recovery. Listen 24-7 anytime to this or any of our shows online at StarWorldWideNetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.